0: Forget her gender, she was just a really good coffee person and she had an appreciation for a couple of things. One was she knew good coffee when she cupped it and she appreciated good coffee. She also knew that there was a market for coffees in small lots that were better or distinct from the commercial lots that were trading around her. She knew intuitively that she could make a market for that and she pursued that market. And that was in itself really the breakoff point for specialty coffee.
1: Hey friends, this is Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. This was not an episode I intended to do. I was reporting on a story for my other job at Barista Magazine about Erna Knudsen, and I posted a picture of her that one of her colleagues had sent me. It's a picture of Erna, probably from the 70s or 80s, sitting at a cupping table, sounds pretty straightforward, but she has the cupping spoon to her lips, she's tasting coffee, and she's looking dead straight into the camera. It's like she knows that she's doing something subversive, and she's absolutely relishing in that fact. At the time, she was doing something subversive, Erna Knudsen started her coffee career as a secretary for a coffee trading company in San Francisco. And when she asked to join the other members of her company to taste coffee, she was denied because she was a woman. So she decided to buy the company and fire all the men that had denied her a seat at the table.
2: Oh, God, what a wonderful life! Thank you very, very much. It's been a thrill, even though I was kept out of the cupping room and the uh, roaster because I was a woman, and they didn't call me a woman either. But they are all men, and they decided that women didn't deserve the break. But I fooled them. I bought the company and fired them all.
1: This is Erna sharing her experiences at the 2014 Specialty Coffee Association Expo where she was given her second Lifetime Achievement Award. She was given the very first Lifetime Achievement Award ever given in 1991. And for most people, the story that Erna had just told is kind of the only story they know about her. She was denied access to the cupping table, she bought the company, and that's it. Erna died recently last year, and as I was writing the story for Barista Magazine... I realized there's so much more about Erna, both professionally and personally, that I don't think a lot of people know. She didn't just break gender barriers, which she should be very much applauded for and respected for, but she really defined the way that we talk about specialty coffee. Even the term specialty coffee comes from Erna. So let's go backwards. Let's go back to that picture of Erna. I posted it on the boss barista Instagram account and I was absolutely floored by how many people responded wanting to know more about Erna. So I asked one of the people who liked the photo, my friend T Ben Fisher. He was last year's United States barista champion runner up. And he also founded glitter cap barista bootcamp, which if you don't know about, you should Google. It's an amazing project. And I asked him what he knew about Erna.
3: So when I, when I saw the post. um, it was obviously with a lot of uh, sadness and joy that we had someone so special in the industry. But so it brought me back to, I was in coffee for about eight months. Uh, it was like back in 2012. And I was do, taking a, a coffee course with a company I worked for at the time. And we had a, like a, a homework assignment to write like a, like a blog post about something in specialty coffee. And so I decided to kind of research where did the term "specialty coffee came from, And then I just fell into this rabbit hole of, about Erna, and like, as we all know, she, she coined this term "specialty coffee." Um, and the more research I did into this woman, the more I was just floored by how incredible she, she appeared from, from just the Internet. Uh, had never met her. Um, and then the, it was like three months later. Um, after writing this paper and like getting it in and like talking about it, I went to SCA for the first time. SCAA at the time, and she was like one of the guest speakers. Uh, so it was like Marcus Bonnie was doing a dance on stage and all of a sudden out comes Erna. And it was just one of those moments where like those like internal goosebumps happen. We're like, Oh my goodness, I just wrote a paper about this person and now she's 50 feet in front of me just talking about what she did and the changes she did and I think all of our like probably almost anyone who has researched her or has talked about her knows like the, the famous story of how they won't let women like the men won't let women in the cupping room so she bought the company and fired them all um, and I just think if, if that's not a powerful woman then then what is
1: what do you hope to find out more about her, like through me doing these interviews or what would you want to hear about her?
3: Um, I guess kind of what I said is all I really know. So I would love to see like more of how she got started, where her her passions came from. And like, especially the time that she was really coining these terms and and gaining success. It it was not a time that was really conducive to to women. Uh, I mean, not that we're necessarily there yet either. But I um, would like to see just how she pushed these boundaries and, and carried the industry to, to a new level. Um, but I don't really know a lot of what she did or who she was or um, like her professional career. Just kind of know the basics. And I would love to gain a little more insight into the how and whys of what she did.
1: t Ben sent me the essay he wrote on her, which is absolutely incredible, especially since he wrote it at the very beginning of his coffee career. He was at that expo where Erna won her second Lifetime Achievement Award. And in this essay, he wrote, Of the highlights for many was hearing Erna speak at the opening ceremonies. She showed a passion for coffee, desire to serve, and proving that one can have a flourishing career in coffee. Erna is truly a role model to all those in the coffee industry. When one is passionate, driven, and motivated, the world is a blank slate ready to be filled. Erna's accomplishments are numerous and absolutely transform the coffee industry. But I wanted to know more about her as a person. Erna was born in Norway in the early 1920s, but came to New York with her family in 1926. She worked as a secretary for a Wall Street trader and then moved to San Francisco in the 1950s looking for a job. She found a position working for a coffee trader, again as a secretary, since that was one of the only positions a woman could hold at that time.
0: I will say this uh, she was gracious and funny and uh, and uh, very high touch service oriented as a as a vendor but as an individual she um was um fascinatingly uh, salty in sort of every sense of the word she could be utterly irreverent um she uh, would say things uh, that uh, would just astound you from time to time uh and probably more often than from time to time, uh, she had a great uh, sort of, um, I don't know, irascible sense of humor, I guess, is the right term for it. But uh, she could be shocking uh, and uh, coy and and absolutely direct all in the, in the course of one conversation and uh, was brilliant for that.
1: That was Rick Reinhart, the former head of the Specialty Coffee Association he recently stepped down to lead the Coffee Price Crisis Response Initiative. And one of the reasons I wanted to start with this clip is because before we even started recording, Rick mentioned that he didn't know Erna that well. And yet, in her personality and manner were contagious. And the way that Rick describes her as a rascally funny, irreverent, a person determined to write her own rules, these were traits that were felt by everyone around her. She.
0: Um convinced lots of people of things that they hadn't believed before they talked to her. Anecdotally, one of my favorite uh, Erna moments was uh, we were we were out to dinner. A large group of folks had gotten together uh, in Anaheim about uh, eight or nine years ago for dinner to celebrate Erna. And uh, one of the stories that came up there, which I absolutely loved and which my wife has completely embraced, is that Erna refused to let her grandchildren call her grandma or any version of that. And insisted that they call her Erna Baby. And, uh, if we ever have grandchildren, I'm certain that my wife will insist that they call her Wendy Baby. Uh, and it was just the, just that kind of um, d- unrelenting insistence on on going it alone and on doing it the way that she thought was best um, that was uh, so fascinating about her.
1: It's pretty well documented that people found her to be fierce. The stories that we know about Erna describe a person who largely ignored society's expectations of her to do what she thought was right. You just heard moments ago Erna describe buying the company that wouldn't let her taste coffee and then firing all the men that kept her out of the cupping room. Erna's boldness isn't just the stuff of tales, though, but influenced a number of professionals who grow to shape the coffee industry. While
4: she was a pioneer, she truly was about quality above and beyond anything else. I mean, she held the line and sold the best she could get her hands on, of especially Indonesian and Africans. Um, she was very sexy. She was very funny. That's Karen Sabreos,
1: who met Erna early in her coffee career. Karen is one of the first people to bring organic coffee to market, and she talks about what it was like meeting Erna early in her coffee career. <laughs>
4: Here's another funny story in the early days when I first met her. We were, this is back in the day of faxes, and for some reason, somehow, I got confused and referred to her as Danish. And I get a fax, like just if you were wagging your finger at me Dear young lady, you are welcome to refer to me anytime as a Norwegian. I am not Danish. But if you want to, you can call me a dame anytime you want.
5: (laughs) Oh, I would say that she was uh, a really wonderful sense of humor and really funny, very articulate, very gracious, good coffee um, person. She knew she had good relationships with everyone from, you know, farmers to, to, you know, her, her roasters or her clients that she was working with and, and very well respected. But I, I think that, I would just sum it up is that she was extremely articulate, professional, funny, and I never heard her say, you know, always a kind word for everybody.
1: That was Sherry Johns. Sherry is a coffee consultant and instrumental in building the Cup of Excellence competition. And like Karen, Sherry met Erna pretty early in her coffee career. Just before we started recording, Sherry talked about her long coffee experience, being a barista in San Francisco and putzing around the city with folks like Andrew Barnett, who'd go on to find the former Echo Coffee and now Linnea Coffee in San Francisco. And for Sherry, Erna wasn't just this bold figurehead, but a sharp coffee taster and a shrewd coffee buyer. She developed amazing relationships with the folks that she bought coffee from. She's one of the reasons that we buy micro lots or know where our coffee comes from. She coined the term specialty coffee, but sometimes her coffee prowess is eclipsed by these legendary stories of her buying this company and firing all the men. But for those that came up with Erna at the same time, her breadth of influence was easy to see.
0: I, I sort of distilled my thinking about this down to, down to these four sort of key points. One is is that it was a totally, totally different world when Erna started in coffee, and I'm sure you've heard uh, from a variety of sources, or it's I guess it's well-documented. You know, she started out in a, what would have been a very classic role for the very few women in coffee at her time, which was really sort of secretarial or administrative. And from that vantage point, she watched the sort of uh, unimpressive behavior of the men around her and thought, wow, I could do this better than them. And she really did sort of, um, she spent a long time learning. She asked a lot of questions, made a lot of suggestions. And as you can imagine, uh, sadly, um, she was not much appreciated by, by the men in her office. And and she really did ultimately sort of force her way into a different role, out of the uh, sort of secretarial role and into an active role um moving coffee around, trading copy, evaluating copy and and uh, really shifting what she did into a into one of the what was at that time very typical male roles and away from what was at that time a very typically female role. And that in itself is amazing. It's amazing when an individual has the courage and the tenacity and the thick skin to do that kind of work and I admire her as a human being for that, and I admired her a tremendous amount as a feminist for that. Although I'm not certain she would have categorized herself overtly as a feminist, she certainly was one.
5: Just it it hadn't been done, and she's feisty. I mean, you know how you, you older people, particularly particularly we girls, sometimes get feisty. But I mean, she was a, a, a fighter back then, but she and I had had the conversation. It's like, you know, you don't want to be the best woman doing your job. You want to be the best person doing your job and just really keeping moving forward on that front. Um, So you're right. They kind of know the story, but there's, there's always a person behind it. That's Sherry Johns again. Well, you know what? It's it's funny. I was um, actually I was dubbed like the first Barista Champion in 1980 in San Francisco to competition. And she had her importing business then, and I knew about kind of the coffee people in town. But I was a young squirt, you know. I was I was kind of afraid of her, or not afraid of her, but I was afraid to reach out to her because I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm just some kid. I'm kind of a nobody that just kind of brews coffee for a living. So I knew about her, um, but I ended up. Writing an article, and it was probably around two. Well, I don't know, maybe maybe mid nineties, let's say, or maybe a little earlier than that. And um, she actually sent me a sweet little note, like a handwritten note, and um, and it was just like great article, keep it up, you know, nice, you know, nice that you we're in the same town, come by and visit sometime. And I was really surprised. And I, I know I still have that piece of paper around somewhere.
1: Erna's influence was big. But it was also really small in a way. She was bold and audacious on a large scale, but personal and meaningful in these one-on-one interactions with people. She liked asking questions and would remember facts you told her about yourself for years to come.
2: And so when I visited with Karen up in San Francisco when we went to dinner at Jack's, she was very curious about me because I was so young. And at this table with absolute rock stars, the women that started Equator, herself and her partner. and um, she had a little lamp that she was reading her menu with because it was super dark in there. And after we ordered, she shined the lamp in my face and was just like, "How did you get here? How did you get into coffee? Who are you? Tell me about you." <laughs> so the fact that she was still interested in meeting new people and and learning about the young people coming into the industry, I thought was, also very flattering and, and just made me feel like a part of something much bigger than our office. You know, just a, a bigger part of the industry.
1: That was Katie Whalen, who is a senior vice president for inter American Coffee, but got her start with Karen Sabreos at Elon Organics. And I couldn't help but picture myself in that moment, being questioned by Erna. So I had to ask more questions. Oh my God, what kind of questions did she ask you? Like, what'd you talk about?
2: I think her first question was, so tell me, how did you get into coffee? And I was so surprised that I, I mean, I told her the truth. It was a very simple way. I i really love coffee and found out that there was a thing uh, here in San Diego that an office that had a coffee importing office and uh, it was full of women, which is also how I found it. <laughs> and then, um yeah, then she asked me, Uh, what my plans were and and what I like to do and if I was a cupper. Um, Because I think one of her favorite things, I think, was cupping coffee. And we still actually have cupping spoons here at our office that have Canutes and coffees on the the handle. So we shared that passion with her very much and take cupping very seriously. (laughs) No fact was too
1: small for Erna to remember, and she always found a way to pay a compliment to somebody or say something kind.
2: Her first Comment to me always was, oh, I love your beautiful red hair. You know, she just she was very complimentary and always remembered who I was, which was impressive because I think these days I always reintroduce myself to everybody because I don't expect anyone to to always remember my name or always remember which company I'm from. Um, but she had an impeccable memory, and even if she didn't remember, she did a really great job pretending <laughs> and really made you feel uh, important, which I always admired.
1: Erna was someone for whom details mattered. One of the other famous stories about Erna goes back to when she was still secretary and she meets a student whose family brought in coffee from Sumatra and how she convinced her bosses to buy a container on the condition that she would sell it. And she did. The entire container, 250 bags like she details earlier, within a month. Erna knew quality when she saw it, but as important quality was to her, so was commitment. And she'd regularly ask for the same coffees over and over again, year after year. Again, Katie Whalen.
2: So I first met Erna uh, via phone when she would call in to buy a, a few very specific coffees from the company that I used to work for um, called Elon Organic Coffees. And we talked to her all the time. She always bought the same coffees and, and always had the same uh, lovely um composure when she was asking for them, like this big fruity Guatemala, or, you know, I want that bright floral jasmine Ethiopia. She was very specific with what she was looking for all the time. Her commitment to specific
1: coffees predated micro lots and single origin coffees and the way that we view coffee now. Erna saw a market that didn't exist at the time and began building her career around identifying the most special coffees she could find. And looking for people who'd love them as much as she did and serve them well.
0: Uh, forget her gender. She was just a really good coffee person. And she had an appreciation for, for a couple of things. One was she she knew good coffee when she cupped it. And she appreciated good coffee. She also knew that, um, that there was a market for coffees in small lots um, that were better or distinct from the commercial lots that were trading around her. And she knew intuitively that she could make a market for that, and she pursued that market. And she did it um, with pretty strong success. And that pursuit of that market was, in itself, really the breakoff point for specialty coffee. Her customers were mostly, at that time, in the early days, most of her customers were Family owned roasters that had a regional presence that um, had a family tradition of liking coffee. And so they bought good coffees when they made it across their cupping tables. And Erna consistently put good, distinct, differentiated coffees across their cupping tables and they bought them from her. And so she really did the foundational work to develop um, what would become a specialty coffee market. That is, she brought good coffee to market and found people who could appreciate it. And uh, that's a, a a series of tasks that takes place day after day after day, with a lot of communication, a lot of relationship building, and a lot of commitment to um, to identifying those those extraordinary copies and then matching them to the people who um, who can best uh, take them to market from there. And. Uh, I, I think it gets missed sometimes that the birth of specialty coffee was not dependent on her coining of the phrase. The birth of specialty coffee was dependent on her and others like her um, being able to identify these fantastic coffees that were well differentiated and to match them to roasters and to businesses um, that would appreciate them and that would take them to market. And that was that, that's really the, the roots of specialty coffee that and, and where she was so instrumental.
5: I I think, you know, in the overall industry, it just is that she was a a pioneer and that she was, you know, a good coffee person. She went to places, she was one of the first people that actually would go visit farms and meet farmers and, and not be an importer who just simply said, you know, how much container and how much price. She was really connected to individual families and farms before it was kind of the hipster thing to do. You know, she made great strides in relationships, and I think that's one of the things she should be noted for. Of course, the most famous one is that she, you know, coined the term "specialty coffee," but she really felt coffees were special, Farmers were special, that grew them and needed to be um, fairly treated and, and, and rewarded for producing, you know, this highest quality product that was going to, you know, turn the world, let's say.
1: Arna did more than define the term "specialty coffee which she did in a 1973 interview with the Teed and Coffee Trade Journal, who were investigating this new growing trend of buying small lots of coffee. She understood this new growing group of roasters and farmers and consumers who wanted more from their coffee, and she knew how to get it to them. Small roasters at that time were being completely ignored in favor of these big coffee houses who could buy containers and containers of coffee and Erna sought to find a different way to bring smaller lots of coffee to them. Her company, Knutson Coffees, changed the way people bought coffee. However, Erna didn't really get the chance to travel much to farms. At that time, it wasn't common to go visit farmers and producers. Instead, importers would meet exporters in the capital cities and cup coffee there. However, in 2005, she was invited on a trip to Nicaragua. Kimberly Eason describes it this way. Kimberly is with the Partnership for Gender Equity and was on that trip with Erna.
6: Yeah, and I think that's what makes the, the trip to Nicaragua so special. And the fact that she was willing to, to go um, because she hadn't. And we, we asked her. She had not been to visit a small farmer Cooperative. Until then, she had not really been out, and and that was that was typical. Um, a lot of people traveled um, and traveled to visit exporters and and cup coffees, um, and very very often that would be in the capital city uh, or in uh, you know just one of the the regional um, more urban areas, and yeah, to get out to the farms was something that, um, wasn't very common earlier, I'd say until, well, I don't know. I mean, from a, I'd say in the nineties, really eight nineties, because I mean, if you think even in Central America, um, there was still, there were still times of conflict into the, into the early nineties, there was still civil war happening, um, and so it really wasn't until later in the, in the 90s, at least in Central America, where things um, uh, were were peaceful enough for people to get out beyond um, beyond the capital cities.
1: Erna not only defined the way coffee was traded, but defied the typical roles that women generally played in coffee at the time. She eschewed, typical gender traits. She was not humble or quiet. She was instead a woman that people described as elegant. She was always dressed the nines. She always knew where she was going, and she demanded respect no matter where she went.
4: But she did have some pretty amazing scrapbooks that go all the way back, maybe to the 50s. Yeah. Um, They were stacked in her office. You're too young, but back in the day, there was a TV show called uh i think dallas something like that anyway joan collins had this office that you know had desk with elephant tusks and zebra rugs on the floor that sort of thing completely socially unacceptable today but that was erna that was her office that was her style in san francisco she was in a building for years and years and years after she opened canutes and coffees and there was no elevator walked up and down the stairs three flights a day and went over to a very, very famous restaurant that anybody who ever visited or went to lunch there at Jack's. And it was a white tablecloth. And she walked in the door, welcome Miss Knutson, whoever, was tra- whoever of us was trailing behind, you know, she would dine and have the same lunch and cocktails every day back in the day when everybody had martini lunches. And anyway, she was a hoot. Uh, she could tell stories till the cows came home. She loved life. And one of my favorite, favorite expressions when you'd talk to her and say, how are you today, Erna? She'd say, I'm on this side of the dirt, aren't I? (laughs) She was just great. (laughs) And I don't care where we were going or how rural or rustic or she would be decked out and have the most amazing jewelry on. And even when she was going blind, nothing stopped this woman, nothing. And she, John, drove, here she is in her 90s, and he drove a gigantic Suburban, and she climbed up in that thing like a five-year-old. She just was amazing. Nothing, nothing stopped her.
2: And we went to dinner downtown San Francisco at Jack's, and I think that was actually the very first time I met her in person. And she was absolutely lovely and uh, ordered all of us very stiff drinks. <laughs> And uh, we sat at her table, which was kind of on the little balcony of the restaurant. Um, And I believe it was kind of a historic gentleman's club that she had been awarded a table at because of her grandiose uh, personality and and her status in, in society in San Francisco, which was pretty cool.
1: It's not surprising that Erna was a coffee figure. But it wasn't just her boldness that defined her legacy. She was a mentor to everyone she met. She was so, so much more than the stories that were told about her. She changed the industry and changed those around her.
2: Her reputation, especially in our office, because my boss uh, at the time, Karen Saberos, was very good friends with her and and Erna was one of her mentors and therefore, in turn, one of mine immediately. Um, We worked in a very small office uh, of just women at the time. And so having Erna as one of our customers and also one of our mentors and uh, technically competition.
4: <laughs> so I went to see her and I, I had had a giant learning experience. A, a guy says to me at SCA too, I hear your coffee might be organic. I said, I don't know what that means. It takes me a year and a half to figure it out. I ship it to the, Florida. It's supposed to go to Oakland. I rail it across America. I get it over to Bob and Royal. I called the guy and said, it's here, 250 sacks, certified organic Peruvian. This is the price. And he goes, great, I'll take five bags. And so I'm in shock for, you know, 18 months I've been living and breathing this container thinking the guy was buying a container. Well, he goes, I'm just a little tiny roaster. I don't even know if people want organic coffee or Peru for that matter. It was a grinder for the canned coffee world. Cheap, cheap, cheap. In fact, most of it was black marketed to Colombia." as Colombian. Anyway, I go to Erna's and I said, I am desperate. I don't know what to do. Bob Fulmer told me I had to sell this coffee. I have no idea how to call anybody. There's no computers. There's no coffee directory. There's no SCAA. So she gives me three pieces of paper that you, that are typed up and stapled in the corner. And she goes, well, here it is. Here's the coffee industry on these three pieces of paper. <laughs> what the heck? That's it? And I called up Ted Lingle and he goes, yeah, there's about 30 roasters in America. That's probably about right between Erna and Bob and Ted. There's 30 people in the United States of America I can call to sell coffee to. This isn't funny. So I'm calling anybody I ever met in my life that I had a phone number for anywhere in the United States to get the yellow pages that just said coffee on it to mail it to me. But years later, I mean, Erna and John would see me anytime we went to dinner. They were, they were fabulous entertainers and hosts. They hosted my whole family. But recently she said to me before she retired, before she sold her company, she said, you know, I have to look at myself and my entire career. And I didn't do enough to help you and other women in coffee. I really didn't do enough It was really quite something to hear her say that. And I said, well, you carved a path, you created a playing field, you opened the door. I think that's pretty good.
1: Erna retired at the age of 93. I tried to look up more about what happened to Knutson Coffees, but there's no internet presence. And no one can really tell me too much about the next phase in Knutson Coffees. However, the next phase of Erna's life involved traveling and enjoying the pleasures of life with her partner, John Rappinchuk. Here's Karen again. She
4: tried to sell the company, but it didn't pan out, which really surprised me. I thought somebody would buy it just to have the goodwill and have the name, but... She, cl- she eventually closed it. She had another guy who worked with her forever. His name was Cease, C-Y-S. So Cease and John and Erna just closed the doors one day. And then Erna and John had beautiful condos down the street from each other. I forget how many blocks apart, but they just traveled. Traveled and dined. They knew every restaurant in that San Francisco area. I kid you not.
1: Stories about Erna during the last years of her life often revolve around her relationship with John Rappinchuk. He's described as a devoted husband who absolutely adored Erna. If you look really closely at the video of her giving her acceptance speech during the Lifetime Achievement Award at the SCA, you can actually see John next to her wearing a tie with pictures of her face. Here's Karen again. Well, her
5: and John. John was a hoot, too. Her, her, it, we would laugh because there's that scene in Young Frankenstein where it's like, no, he is my boyfriend. And they're both, you know, like elderly, you know, at that point. But he, he was a guy that she had met, um, let's see, came out of Boston, moved to uh, San Francisco, started working for her, and then they became, you know, a, a couple. And then I think just a few years ago, they actually did get married. But he was 30 years younger than her, so she kind of robbed the cradle with him. But I think— I, I think John actually uh, uh, really helped Erna a lot and kind of fueled her um, to keep going because they both loved to constantly travel. They loved what they were doing in the coffee world. He really helped Erna in a uh, maintainer, kind of her stamina and, and, and connectivity to the farms when, you know, she was getting a little older and her mind was still completely sharp. Don't get any, you know, wrong, wrong impression about that. But I think the two of them just kind of fueled each other to keep going.
4: But yeah, they saw the world. One of their favorite things to do was do those windjammer cruises, and she lived for that. I'll tell you the sad thing: John died four years before she did, which is just a shame because I she was determined to live to be a hundred, and she would have if he was if he had stayed alive. Because everything was about coffee and the next trip, and her granddaughters. She had amazing granddaughters, one from Peru, one from Guatemala, and they did everything for those girls to make sure they became great successes in the world. People will remember her for many, many different things she did. She was multifaceted, multidimensional. Um, yeah, she was just a one of a kind.
1: Again, that's Karen Sabreas.
4: There was no funeral. And the only person that I know from the industry who was invited was Sherry Johns. And we were on the trip together, the same trip we were supposed to have dinner with her on. And she was the only one invited to come. And there were 12 people at the church. If they had had a public funeral, there would have been 500 or more. But her daughter, who's also named Karen, who's exactly my age, um, she just couldn't cope with it.
1: Here's Sherry again.
5: Yeah, I you know, she was so delightful and, and so funny. And um, I first learned of her husband's passing from someone who was in Taiwan um, that was trying to reach him and he hadn't been able to contact him. So it was actually, um, I think it was in the the latter part of this 2016 where I did a little CSI work and I had, I hadn't talked to him for probably three or four months. You know, I used to, we used to stay in touch uh, uh, pretty regularly, but when trips and work would go, would take away for a bit. But uh, anyway, I ended up tracking, um, well, I ended up just calling her and uh, you know, I, I, I just kind of got the current information that he had passed away and I'm like, Oh, that's too bad. And, um, but well, then I realized, well, you know, because here's a gal that really loved this guy. I mean, they really had a great, great relationship from what I could see. And, and um, you know, she's by herself. And that's when I really, you know, kind of reconnected and, and took a little bit, made it a point to spend some quality time with her. Yeah. Um, and I, one thing that I organized was really fun. And she never knew it, it was I that did it. But um, she, John had... Uh, gotten her relocated from her condo on, on golf street into, um, a very nice, you know, kind of a nursing home. But one of the things I did is when I found out that John had passed, she was kind of by herself. She was feeling a little blue, um, in a nursing home That I, um, put out the word to Oren and some of you, you know, her other close friends, um, Dan Cox, Ted Lingle, um, Gail, you know, kind of the, the usual suspects in that group. And just said, listen, you know, um, Erna could use some love. Valentine's Day is coming up, you guys. I said, um, here's her address. Uh, she probably doesn't want it to be publicized, but if you feel like it, send her some flowers on Valentine's Day. And, and you know, don't let on that I contacted you about this. So what happened is, so we all sent tons of flowers. Roses were her favorite, any color. And uh, she ended up getting about 15 bouquets of flowers, and I, I called her, I go, Erna, this is Sherry. I said, you know, well, you know, how was your Valentine's Day? She goes, Sherry, you won't believe it. I got, you know, all these bouquets of flowers. And she says, everybody's so kind. And and, they, the, and, and she was like, they remember me and this and that. And I'm like, of course they remember you. Everybody loves you.
1: Here's Rick again, and for those of you that didn't forget, he wraps up his four points quite nicely towards the end.
0: I also wonder what uh, how today's um, women in coffee would interact with Erna, and um, for me, there's a tremendous value in these um, in the in, in the generational transfer of knowledge and understanding how we arrived at the place we are and how we build on, on what has happened before our time. And sometimes it's hard to imagine uh, Erna for being who she was, um, how she would have uh, been received at this exact moment in time, uh, which is such a a critical moment for all of us and which is so um, laden with, um, with key decisions that we have to make. And and uh, I would have really liked to have uh, seen her um, in action today uh, with the same force and vibrancy that she was in action 40 years ago. And then finally, the fourth thing I think about this is once again about um, this moment in time uh, and um, and the place of, of uh, and the role of women, not just in coffee, but in our larger social interactions, and in business, and in our communities, and in, and in civil society. And the thing that um, that I am trying to come to grips with is trying to understand how much Erna um, succeeded by uh, playing the game, sort of as the rules were laid out and, and perhaps there was no other way for her to succeed at that time. And she bent the rules and she broke the rules a bit and she pushed the boundaries of the rules. But there was a, you know, there was a set of rules that you just really couldn't cross too much. And so she succeeded in what was really a man's game uh, because, I mean, let's face it, everything, when she started was a man's game and for a long, a, a good part of her career, that's how it remained. And she was a successful woman playing uh, by the men's rules on the men's court in a men's game. And I think a lot about how critical it is now to shift that dynamic so that it's so that your generation of professionals in coffee, and your generation of women in society and your generation of leaders uh, in uh, in the civil world in the political world and the financial world aren't just winning by the old rules but that you're taking the opportunity to make new rules and craft a new game and identify a new pitch to play it on and i i think about that with a lot of um, optimism and uh, a lot of um, Sense that it's going to be super exciting and sometimes soul crushing and sometimes super rewarding. But I look forward to it and I think how much Erna and the thousands and thousands of pioneer women like Erna, who were the first in their fields um, to break through the gender barriers, who were the independent spirits that had the unrelenting uh, and unremitting force to make change, how much they would have um, enjoyed seeing uh, how, how this next generation, how the incoming generation of women will rewrite the rules of the game.
1: Erna died in 2018 at the age of 96. There are two moments throughout these interviews that really stand out to me. One is that moment that Katie Wellen talked about, sitting at Jack's, the traditionally all-male club, getting the lamp shown on her by Erna, being questioned. And I wonder what I would have thought of Erna at that time and what she would have thought of me. Erna didn't just break the ceiling for women in coffee, although she did, and like Rick said, she did it with a mind for the rules of the game, but she made it possible for us to rewrite the rules. She didn't just break down barriers, but she created a pathway for people now of all backgrounds, identities, to create new systems that serve a larger audience. That goes to the second point that I think about a lot. What would Erna think of coffee professionals now? We don't have to do things like Erna to be like Erna. But I hope through these stories, through these anecdotes, through these living testaments to how amazing she was, you're inspired to be fearless and to find your pathway free of, as Rick mentioned, the unimpressive men around you or any force that tries to keep you down. Erna broke the rules so that we could rewrite them. And in that, her legacy will carry on forever. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everybody who liked the initial post that I put up about Erna that inspired me to do this story. Thank you so much to the contributors, to Sherry Johns, to Kim Eason, to Rick Reinhart to Karen Sabreos, to Katie Whalen, who were so generous with their time and their anecdotes about Erna. And thank you so much to all the listeners who make these things possible. I couldn't be here without you. And Erna, I hope that we told your story well and that we did justice to your legacy. Thank you for listening to Boss Barista. Boss Barista was created by me, Ashley Rodriguez, and made in collaboration with Good Beer Hunting, which is an industry-leading brand studio, editorial platform, and podcast devoted to the many issues worth discussing around the things that we eat and drink. You can learn more at goodbeerhunting.com. Please check out their website. There are so many incredible articles that I find myself looking at constantly over and over looking for advice about how we can be better in the coffee industry. They're doing a great job and they're helping us make this podcast for you folks. So goodbeerhunting.com. Go ahead, check them out.
6: I'm just looking for a better day.